Hello and welcome to episode 338 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carcino. And we're coming to you from Renton. Home of the Super Bowl 48 champion, Seattle Seahawks. Yeah, I feel like you always miss something at the very beginning. It's actually written Washington. Oh, okay. That's where we're at. Are there, are there a lot of other written but it's just like, it's, We do the same thing every time. I, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Well, uh, we had an emergency pod since we last recorded a weekly pod because the University of Washington Huskies defeated Hello. the number six Oregon Ducks in Eugene. Knocking them out of the college football playoff picture. A good time was had by all. Oh, I'm still happy about it. Me? I'm still really in it. I was actually thinking about this, which is maybe maybe this should come up later. But there are certain situations you never want to take a victory lap in the media in particular too early. And there are certain situations. I, I was thinking about Jim Irsay, right? Jim Irsay is already taking one win under his belt against the Las Vegas Raiders the victory lap about Jeff Saturday. And it's just like, you're going to want to be careful with that one, dog. And I was thinking about about that in terms of us taking a victory lap vis-a-vis the win versus Oregon. And you know what the thing is? No matter what happens for the rest of the year, we're going to remember that shit forever. Oh, for sure. So we could take the victory lap because it doesn't matter. All the victories against Oregon we've talked about in the past aren't like, oh, but then the team lost the next two games. No. We beat fucking Oregon, and we own them in Eugene, Oregon. I mean, conveniently, the only two times that they've beaten Oregon before this within the past two decades, they did go on to play in college football in New Year's Six Bowl game. I think, I so think that was useful. College football rivalries are different than like, oh, the Seahawks beat the Cardinals oh, and then missed the playoffs. Right? Yeah. Like, we don't get, like, bragging rights because we beat the Cardinals in the last week of the year, like, and then Russell Wilson left. Like, that was just like, that's a game that happened, and we don't really remember it. Like, you look at Michigan and Ohio State, Michigan could have an amazing season and lose to Ohio State, and it could still ruin the season just by that that outcome. I don't know if it can save the season the same way. Like, I don't know if I look at 2003 as a positive season, but also I got to say, I talk about the, we talk about the Northwest Championship all the time. Oh, yeah. When was the last time we talked about the 2002 Washington team that lost in the Holiday Bowl? Like, they were an objectively better team. Yeah. But I have zero that's memory why, that's about That's why college football is fun. And that's also why it, it's frustrating because for this it's way sidetracked. But moving rivalries or whatever. Because I can tell you that when USC goes to the fucking Big Ten, they have UCLA or whatever with them. There's no other game they're going to care about. Well, USC conveniently still has a non-conference rivalry that will stay with them. And maybe become a conference rivalry at some point. <laughs> we'll see. But you understand what I'm saying? Like, they're not going to be like, wow, we finally beat Nebraska. Oh, yeah. No, yeah, of course. It's fucking dumb. That's, like, literally, this, the you, this is we my care about. point about college football. Why are you co-opting my point about college I, I really hadn't, hadn't thought about it. So, there, so what you're saying is the, that, the Huskies needed to beat Oregon for you to no, understand. Oregon has always been pretty, pretty seemingly protected. For you, like, we're the pair, right? One would think. So I feel like that's protected. In the same way that, like, there's Apple Cups where I'm like, I, I do remember Apple Cups mostly, but, like, victories over Oregon. All the losses to Oregon blur together. <laughs> Not all of them blur together. Many some, of the losses versus Oregon blur together. 
But even talking about the like the history that we have going back with Oregon State or whatever, right? Like those two years in a row that you're talking about where it was miserable. Yeah. Like that shit sticks with you. Yeah. In, in a way that's awesome. If you play, you know, Illinois, yeah. the one time that we played them in, in like 2000. 14 or 2011 some point in the steve sarkisian era it's not the same distinct memory i i do think that uh, i mean michigan state obviously we now have a, a serious rival we were with oh cable sports networks might not understand why people care about college football anyway that's all i'm saying well with that let's get into this week's beer i no not with that but you, all i'm saying is that we can take the victory lap about the oh, Oregon game and not be nervous about it. This isn't a you spoke too soon about Trevor Simeon, right? Yeah. <laughs> this is nothing. This is it happened and it's done. And mm-hmm. fuck Oregon. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This week's beer is not from the state of Oregon, conveniently. It better not be. I, I think this is going to be our last fresh hot beer for <laughs> the year. We're, we're frankly out of fresh hot Look, season. we're not the Seattle Kraken. We wouldn't have the beer be from the state of Oregon. <laughs> For a second consecutive week, though, from our friends at Stoop Pro in Steve. Seattle, motherfucking Washington. That's that's correct. Uh, <laughs> not, not even that far from the UW campus. It's I got the, kind of fired up again just talking about the you, game. You really did. Fresh Hop Fiend IPA, the second in their Fresh Hop Fiend series. Strata, Strata Fresh Hop Fiend is packed with 300 pounds per batch of Strata Fresh Hops from our friends at Roy Farms in Yakima. Strata brings aromas of strawberry and passion fruit drink it fast and fresh all right pouring this into my mount rainier cup this ain't no mount hood over here (laughs) a dramatically inferior mountain in every way in every respect that's just objectively true yeah just factual so we have some exciting toasts this week once you get my beer poured starting with one two julio rodriguez an expected one certainly as he was voted Jackie Robinson AL Rookie of the Year on Monday, in addition to previously winning one of the three AL Silver Slugger Awards for Outfield. That one was a bit more surprising to me. Uh, for Rookie of the Year, Julio received 29 of 30 first-place votes, with Adley Rutschman getting the other. He's the second Mariners player to win Rookie of the Year in the past three years, joining Kyle Lewis. <laughs> kind of wild. It, it is. And the fifth in franchise history. And also, shout out to George Kirby for getting a single third place vote in the voting. I'm I'm impressed. Who was the person who got? I didn't see that. It was Adley Rutschman got the other? Oh, you just said that. I, yeah. I did. Yes, that's a classic Felton cast. I was I was fixated on the George Kirby vote. <laughs> uh, also, we had Jeremy Pena as one of the three finalists. He got two third place votes. Finished, I believe, fifth wild. in the voting. So the Stephen person we've got is Stephen Kwan, yeah. who was the consensus third place candidate. The the by far the most common ballot went Julio. I'm, I'm sure Jeremy Pena will be very upset. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's got no consolation at all over not winning Rookie of the Year. Uh, but the other piece of this, the draft pick compensation that you get for having a player on the opening day roster, I think they said it was going to be the 29th pick in the draft. Did you see this? Is that what it is? No, I didn't see that part of it. That I, is... I remember that from the negotiations on the CBA. I mean, you know, it's baseball, so... Any draft pick is probably not that big of a deal, but getting the equivalent of a first-round draft pick just for having Julio on the roster, we got to see Julio the entire season, and we get a draft pick out of it? Yeah. And And a motherfucking brick! (laughs) The other part of it was, of course, that the... This year would have counted as a full year towards his rookie status if he won rookie of the year, no matter when he was called up, uh, which may have, in some small part, influenced the Mariners putting him on the... uh, 
on the opening day. The other part was him being the best player on the team at the very beginning. <laughs> well, it took him a week or two, a month or two, maybe. You'll recall. Their passion for uh, co- contract year manipulation uh, was outweighed by their mild interest in winning. <laughs> it, it was, yes. Look, the winning is nice, but the contract year's manipulation, <laughs> that, that is a real passion. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, okay, can I guess? Was Alvin Davis the other? So Alvin Davis okay. presented via video uh, on MLB Network this award. He was the first in 1984. And obviously, Griffey and A-Rod. No. Oh, those Ichiro. Neither of them won oh. rookie of the year because A-Rod, was elig- his rookie eligibility was in 95, I believe, when he barely played. So it was Ichiro. Griffey did not win rookie of the year. Ichiro did. Wow, who's the last one? It was in the 90s, right? No. Really? I might not know who the other player was. Was it in the 2000s? Yes. Felix, did he win? No. It was in the year 2000. I'm glad I didn't put this in the notes that you could guess it. In the year 2000. In the year 2000. Is it a pitcher or a hitter? Pitcher. Oh, was it um, Freddie Garcia? No. He was not a starting pitcher. Oh, Kazuhiro Sasaki. Correct. The yes. Mariners have had like kind of weird. I mean, they've had two pretty strange rookie of the year. I mean, players who are Japanese veterans. Yes. I do feel like there should be a different distinction. I do. I, there I should agree like, with that. Be an age that. limit on rookie. <sighs> not an age limit because we will. A, we would a, not want to deny professional it. service time limit. Like top league. It's yeah. really just the Japanese league is the only one that matters for this, or the, the two Japanese leagues, as the case may be, to be pedantic. Uh, but like we, we don't, don't want to deny Bob Hamlin his rookie. No, absolutely votes. not. Absolutely. Or, we would never. I, would I don't never. know if Rich Amaral got a vote or not back in 93. <laughs> no. We want to allow for long-term minor league journey yeah, course. to win rookie exactly. of the year. But I, I do feel like if you've been playing major professional baseball in Japan. It's a little insulting. Well, yeah, it's kind of like insulting to, I mean, A, the other players who are actual rookies, but also just to Japanese baseball. Exactly. And I get that, look, other players are playing professionally, etc. But still. Uh, next Are up. we talking any more about the Mariners? Are we coming back to them? I don't think so. Are you aware of this Japanese pitcher that the Mariners are hypothetically interested in? Maybe, but not specifically. Okay, that's the end of the information that I've got oh, about him. Good. So the, Mar- the Mariners have uh, reportedly chatted uh, with a Japanese pitcher who's coming over. Okay, yeah. well, we'll have to look into that. I haven't seen a lot of free agency updates on the Mariners as yet. I mean, so the hot stuff like is anything. coming. That's the fun thing about baseball, sort of similar to basketball where it's kind of like the offseason starts immediately but free agency hits you pretty quick but the difference is in the nba all the contracts have been negotiated by the time free agency starts and that does not happen in baseball it is it's way more fun like football really makes you marinate on it oh yeah they get negotiated immediately as soon as the market opens wow how amazing that you (laughs) can sort through offers that quickly and pick the best one for you all right next up Congratulations to Jordan Morris and Christian Roldan for making the U.S. men's national team roster for the upcoming World Cup in Qatar. Uh, Congrats also to Nuhu and Javier Arriaga, who will represent Cameroon and Ecuador, respectively. Those ones pretty well expected. Morris and Christian Roldan, we weren't certain on this one, especially Roldan's case coming off the injury. But, uh, you know, exciting to see those two Sounders wearing these stars and stripes. Not an easy roster to make, necessarily. No, 
No, definitely. I mean, there were a lot of question marks about what it, the final, I think it's 26 now, right, up from the old 23, was going to look like. So it will be exciting to root them on if in the play. World Cup. Yeah, we'll see how much they actually play. Uh, then lastly this week, congrats to Michael Penix Jr., Corey Luciano, uh-huh. and Peyton Henry, who all won Pac-12 Player of the Week awards for their roles. And you don't win at Oregon. Penix is Offensive Player of the Week. Of course, Luciano is Offensive Lineman of the Week. And Peyton Henry, with his redemption oh, story, yes. Special Teams Player of the Week. Oh, yes. I like that it was a Michael Penix story where they were like, this is a redemption kick for Peyton Henry. Because I'd kind of forgotten about that until you brought it up after the game. It really didn't even occur to me. It was so fucking long ago that that happened. It was an extremely long time ago, correct. And one whole pandemic ago. I mean, I, it makes sense that Peyton Henry would remember, but Michael Penix is like, I don't know what you're talking about. Just make the kick. <laughs> uh, Christian Capel's piece in The Athletic after the game focused on Peyton Henry and that, that redemptive aspect. So that was, that was a, a fun story. All right, with that, I think we've got a Seattle food update this week. First off, it's week three now of Lil Woody's Fast Food Month by the time you listen to this with the Lil Big Mac. I feel like that's the OG of the Fast Food Month burgers. I don't know if it's actually the original, but it's definitely the OG of them. That's definitely, that's the one that I'm going to really try to get. Yeah. Uh, I I have had both the Woody's Baconator and the uh, sourdough Woody, both delicious. But uh, still looking forward to the little Big Mac. I, I've as got well. I've got some news on Little Woody's Fast Food Month. Oh, do you? So floated, floated, having a conversation about a different burger of the week uh, with Little Woody's. Stay tuned and for more on that. Floated the idea of the little beef and cheddar, and I will say we got a positive response. So if we're here next November, and I guess October into November, yeah, November it's all, all November. Okay. Yeah. If we're here next November and there's a little beef and cheddar, it is you, the listener, who is to thank for it. Would be truly an incredible outcome for the Pelton cast if that was the case. Despite us taking all the credit, it'll be you, the listener, who can, who can be thanked for it. I'm not going to take all the credit for it. We'll just take out a full page ad. That was Grant Wojan was the listener okay, who Grant, suggested the little beef and cheddar. Grant Wojan, we've run it up the ladder. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. But you wanted to talk about, you were in LA last week, very briefly. Was there for a day, yeah. Yeah. And you were in, wandering downtown LA and called me on the phone asking me about food options in downtown LA. Since obviously, I, who have been there one time <laughs> <laughs> since 2019, to am LA? the expert. Yeah, that was when That's I went in September, that was the first time, time. Wow. since 2019. I mean, I'm I went there, there like four or five times that year. But uh, You're more encyclopedic of your knowledge of where things are I, or, or what I should go My to. sense of geography? Uh-huh. Well, one thing that I happen to retain in my memory. <laughs> I was like, can I walk all the way to Northwest Texas from here? <laughs> all the way to El Paso? Please let's not bring that back. It was a low moment for the Pelton guest. Let's nothing that involves great circle routes this week, please as well. Uh, it involves what? That's how Seattle is not actually that much farther from Munich than Tampa is because of the great circle route. Oh, it was about a half hour distance. We're, we're going to be talking about that later, though. Okay. Uh, the great circle route. So I recalled that Pizzeria Bianca, which is considered perhaps the best pizza. In the U.S., it's in the Phoenix area primarily. That's where it started and where its founder, Chris Bianco, lives. Uh, had opened in L.A. Outpost 
not long ago in downtown LA, kind of on the east side, uh, closer to the LA River. This is making no sense to you. No, I don't think that's true. Did you look at it? Isn't it? It's a long... No, I don't. literally do not think it's on the east side. What's well, east of... east? The east part of downtown, not the east side. I'm sorry. I was going to say, I spend most time on the east side of LA, and this is nowhere near that. Yes. East of the downtown locations, that we, uh, the other ones that we were talking about, including Sonora Town, which was the place that I went when I was in LA. I mean, it was in the middle of nowhere, right? So I was like... Uh, I didn't have anything to do for a couple of hours. My hotel room wasn't ready yet, right? And so I was like, I've got some time. I can do a little bit of a walk here. I can do a little bit of a trek, or I could have gotten in a car. Uh, but me, much like you, for some reason, decided to make this walk. Uh, in, was a, like, in a foreign city, I will walk almost any distance. An hour plus. It was a questionable walk, I will say. As I was, There were some streets that I did not walk down, uh, that, I, that I turned, and I almost had my phone stolen. While I was on this walk. So it, it was in, in the middle of daylight, right? You were definitely walking through some neighborhoods. And it's like you come upon this strange oasis right in the middle of all these neighborhoods that is just like people who work in graphic design, right? It's, like a, it's almost like a gated community for food. I will tell you, initially, I was just like, I don't know what the fuck's going on here. This doesn't feel quite right, the neighborhood that it's in. Uh, but so I made the trek over there. It's like 70 degrees and beautiful in LA. It's an incredible experience. And I'm like, I don't even know. I knew nothing about Pizzeria Bianco. So this food market is called Smorgasbord. Smorgasbord? Yeah. Yes. Uh, which it's definitely, it's a little bit more than a food market. There's a lot going on there. Um, but so I knew nothing about Pizzeria Bianco going into this experience. I literally had not even heard the name before. Right, you told me it was possibly the greatest pizza in the United States, which I've never had. It is the thing because I didn't really like. I was aware of it the times that I've been to Phoenix, but it's like an extremely long wait, and I didn't uh, at that point know that uh, friend of the pot, Amin Al Hassan, is uh, friends with Chris Bianco and, He's got the and has the hookup. Yeah. Okay, um, he knows everybody in Phoenix. Well, Chris Bianco like literally sat in the Suns draft room. Oh, really? Yeah, like he's that tied into the Suns. Well, we'll see about from here forward. Um, yes. Uh, so I don't even know if I'm going to be able to get pizza, right? I'm literally walking in blind because I have no idea what the weight is going to look like or whatever, what the setup is going to be. I'm, I'm walking all the way out there and I'm like, this pizza better be fucking right because <laughs> I've worked pretty hard for it. Uh, so anyway, I get there. It's sort of just like you go order at a window and then sit wherever. Honestly, the ordering and the eating experience or the ordering experience was very, very simple, all things considered. So I'm standing in line. There's like 15 people in line or something like that. It's not a lot. It kind of feels like it's almost been slightly undiscovered in L.A. so far. Or maybe like the hype train hasn't quite like built for it in L.A. yet. Yeah. So like previously they opened a, like they were doing flatbreads, I believe. With, I want to say, Tartine Bakery in L.A. In L.A. And, like, that was not a very successful concept. So it was like, well, we have to bring the actual Pizzeria Bianca. It, it, was def- there was a, it was a long enough line for lunch. I was there, like, straight up, middle of the day. It was beautiful out. There probably couldn't have been a better day to have done this pizza for lunch. So I get in line. 
Uh, and they have like four or five slices of the day. It's like the red slice, the market slice, like the daily slice. They had some sort of lemon slice that they ended up being out of by the time I got there. A couple of sandwiches or whatever. There are not a lot of options, which is good. That's what I want, right? I wanted to be like, you tell me what you do here, right? Right. I'm happy to choose from a small group of things, but I don't want to go in and be like, order everything for it, especially for pizza, right? So I'm standing in line and I asked the dude behind me because I couldn't see what the what the slices were. And then he was like, oh, it's blah, blah, blah. And he was like, Have, this is your first time. And I'm like, yeah, I, yes. Uh, and he was like, oh, you are in for a treat. Wow. And you, then had the, a, you had like a Sherpa? The person, in, I didn't even need a Sherpa. You know, it's just choosing between four. It's not taco time, Still. right? No menu could be as complex as taco time is. <laughs> Oh, just just wait until we debut our Cheesecake Factory podcast. <laughs> I don't even want to think of a name for that because it's not happening. <laughs> but you do want to think of a name for it. We need Josh Lundgren. Uh, so then he's talking, and then the dude in front of him is like, yes, oh, yeah. Both sides, there are dudes talking about how incredible this pizza is. Were these people actually as deep-voiced as you're making them out to be? Even so- deeper. <laughs> Uh, so the guy in front of me is like, he's like, let, let me put it to you this way. And I'm like, well, I'm not, I don't do well talking to people in lines. <laughs> this is a situation where you needed Jan. <laughs> I really did. Jan probably would have found out useful information, but I still would have begrudged her for it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but so the dude in front of, I found out no useful information. I was just like, uh-huh. Yes. Great. But the dude in front of me is like, let me put it to you this way. To me, I'm like, I guess we're this close now. Uh, He's like, let me put it to you this way. I flew with my wife to Phoenix, Arizona a couple of years ago. He's like, we're waiting in line for like two, two and a half hours. And by the time that we actually get seated and are getting the pizza, he's like, my wife is hangry. She's so mad. And they just rush the pizza out to you right when you get there. And he was like, we were talking and she was like, I want to be so mad, but I can't be because the pizza is so good. Wow. He was like, I don't even know how they make crust like this. And I'm like, wow, this must be, I don't even really understand what the next level of pizza is beyond what I've had, right? I kind of can't conceive a higher level of pizza. And both of these dudes have told, they're like, confidently, like it is the best pizza in the United States, which I swear to God one person said, and then everybody has agreed upon. So I get there. I order, like, the daily slice, which is, like, a focaccia-type pizza, right? Like, a thicker crust. Um, and then I have, like, a pepperoni slice or whatever, like, a flat crust. Uh, I go sit down. I'm waiting in the sunshine. I've got a water. I've got a Diet Coke. And I have to say, the pizza was just fine. Oh, no. I really, I truly, it was, it was good, but... I feel like that pizza, being from Phoenix, Arizona, I think it's one of those things where maybe the setting around it is making it taste that much better. Because I had a slice of pizza in New York City this summer in July. I don't even remember what the fucking place was. Some I was outside of a bar, very, very drunk. It was like 130 degrees. And there was some food truck and got two slices of pizza from there. I ate it. I came to clarity eating that <laughs> slice of pizza. And remember, I was just like, 
remember this moment. I was like, I'm not going to remember anything else about this night, but I have to remember this moment because of how good this slice of pizza is. And I didn't, I got two of them and I didn't eat one slice. I left it sitting out in a hotel for the entire night. I ate it the next morning cold and hungover. And it was still the best slice of pizza that I've ever had in my entire life. <laughs> I was like, I shouldn't eat this. I, I'm probably going to be sick from eating this. But it was so good. I need to eat this slice of pizza again. And that's what New York City pizza is. And I'm sorry, Phoenix, Arizona, Los Angeles, California. You cannot have pizza that good as the place that I ran- was outside of the bar that I happened to be at in fucking Bed-Stuy or whatever. But Seattle, Washington can <laughs> with our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I on, honestly, like, it, it was not that far off from Pagliacci Pizza. There are, I have had Pagliacci slices that I liked better than the Pizzeria Bianco slice. Well, this is all very disappointing to hear. I, I'm going to have to, it, I'm still going to try it for myself at some point, but. It's good. It is definitely good. But it was kind of just like, I, I didn't, having both of you telling me that it was the best pizza in the United States, both of these dudes telling me it, and I didn't see people around me. That's one of the things. You know when you're eating something really special, everybody around you is kind of looking at each other like, we're all tasting this, right? <laughs> like you take a slice. You understand what I'm saying? Like, like you go to a really nice restaurant or something that's really incredible. I feel like people just need to comment on how good it is after they're eating it, right? And I did if they're in a group or by themselves. Just I was sitting next to a group of dudes who were all sitting like I was alone, right? I was sitting next to a group of dudes and they were all happily chattering about their graphic design jobs. And because every (laughs) single person there worked in graphic design. Maybe there was people across me talking about politics and seeming like business. But it was just like every single person there had some sort of like slightly fancy LA mildly art, mildly fashion job. And not a single person did I see who was like looking around being like we're all tasting this, right? You know what I mean? Like when you have something that is truly special, I feel like people just need to comment that it's truly special. And there was not a soul doing that. And I, th- I think, who knows, maybe it was just the slices that I got or that day, but they were like, the crust is so incredible. And I was like, it's good. It was good. But best pizza in the United States. Can't beat that one, sl- one food truck slice. I mean, it can't beat so many slices of pizza I've had in New York. Yes. So, uh, I I personally, not being a New Yorker, I am offended on behalf of New York City that anybody would consider this pizza the best pizza in the United States. Wow. And there's other times that I've had hyped food where I was like, yeah, that totally met the expectation, right? Like barbecue in Texas, some of that barbecue in Austin, you're just like, yes. But this, I, it was worth it was worth it to do it to say that I've had it or whatever. But, like, I wouldn't probably make the track again. And that's that's a barometer, right? Yeah, for sure. I would like to hear differing stories if other people... And maybe, maybe again, it's also... It's the LA location. It's been open for, like, two months. Right. Maybe the Phoenix locations are totally different. So we'll, The we'll water see. in Phoenix, they say. <laughs> Having that... Wa- when you're in the middle of the desert, the water in Phoenix, I think it gets trucked in from places where there's really good water. <laughs> uh, we did not last week have an NBA update focusing on the first place in the Western Conference Portland Trail Blazers because we were pressed for time and we need to bring that back this week because at 9 and 4 they are tied with the Denver Nuggets uh, with the Utah Jazz percentage points behind for the best record in the West 13 games in would you like to tell me how wrong my preseason thoughts were <laughs> it's not it's not that i need to tell you how wrong you are cuz you're always wrong about the Blazers 
I mean, got, mostly I am. Yes. You got lucky one time about the Blazers last season. And then you acted like you were all the time. But the reality is, every single year, you're wrong about the Blazers. I mean, you just type into the, the computer. Brandon Roy era, I was way too high on the Blazers. Most Wait, were you really? Year. Oh, yeah. I was like, <laughs> I mean, I, it, every time I have picked the Blazers, we've gone over this. Every time I've picked the Blazers to win a playoff series, they've lost the playoff series. They've been swept. <laughs> Not always have they been swept, <laughs> but they have always lost every time I've picked them. And the only times that they've won playoff series, I have picked against <laughs> them. <laughs> It's a truly remarkable feat for the Sometimes team that I follow the closest. Sometimes you picked them and they lost, right? Yes. You didn't pick them to win the Western Conference no. Finals? No. I'm not wrong <laughs> about... Like, I, I, like, I like where they've got the Warriors. I'm, I'm not wrong about literally... <laughs> got, got them right where they wanted. <laughs> I mean, KD was out. <laughs> I'm not wrong about literally every Blazers series, but just I have never picked them correctly to win. Uh, so what? It, what is it, right? We're 13 games in. We're getting through... A percentage of the year. Well, number one, they've, they've won a remarkable number of close games. They had back-to-back games with literal buzzer-beating buzzer game winner. Or two out of three, I should say. they were Because there was the blowout in Phoenix in between. But the first Phoenix game where Jeremy Grant hit the game winner. Hello. In a game that they played without both Dame Lillard and Anthony Simons. Bro. And then the game that they came back was Miami, where you had the game-winning three Josh Hart. at the end of that one from Josh Hart. Yeah. So that like I, th- I think ESPN stats and info had the stat that like the last time or maybe it was Blazers PR that the last time they had had it had that happen twice in an entire season yeah. was like 2003. Like, you picked against them in both games. <laughs> <laughs> and that hap- and to have it happen twice in three games and then they've had all sorts of other game winners. Uh, Jeremy Grant, I think, was in L.A. Uh, Simons against Phoenix in overtime in their second game. Like, they've had a ton of these game-winning shots, even if not all of them have been at the buzzer. What? So, but this isn't a fun differential type situation. No, it is a little bit of a fun differential type but situation. I mean, they're still playing is, much better. They're, they're sixth in the Western point differential. That's fine. Yeah, that gets you into they, a playoff spot. They are in the proper play. They're not in the playing tournament point differential-wise. They are not. I mean, I think, like, it's going to be interesting to see who who finishes in the top six in the West because teams that are currently not in the play in, in the play in tournament or below point differential wise include Memphis, who is nine and five. And I think they're going to be fine. Jaron Jackson Jr. is coming back tonight. Uh, as you listen to this, if it's Tuesday, uh, the Los Angeles Clippers who are eight and six and Kawhi has barely played yet. I think they're going to be okay. They're playing better. The golden state warriors who are six and eight and have a minus 0.1 point differential. Your, your heat was right about so far. So far, I this is I'm not taking a victory lap That's for good. sure. Yeah, this is one of the situations where you can't take the victory lap yet. And the Minnesota Timberwolves were six and eight and have a minus one point nine differential. Is after that team trading getting Rudy better Gobert. though? Like what? That team might not be. They're they're the one I'm most worried about in that group. What if Rudy Gobert is just not a good play? You're well, fucking number one on the loving Rudy Gobert. Oh, I don't Gobert think Rudy Gobert is the problem there. But why is it that Utah was a bad team last year? They trade Gobert, they and they're good. They weren't a bad team. Though. They were a very good team. They just couldn't play in the playoffs. Okay, so they were fine. They also did trade Donovan Mitchell, too. You know? <laughs> so I, you, think, you think Cat and Ant are the problems? I, I think that they have not performed up to the levels thus far that they, have per, that they performed <laughs> wow. last season and that people were expecting. Also, D'Angelo Russell has not performed particularly well at point guard. 
and they seem to be missing the mini players, the mini rotation players that they traded for Gobert, Malik Beasley, Jared Vanderbilt, and uh, and Patrick Beverly. Because all the talk was, oh, they just they just gave up draft picks, and it's like, yeah, like in terms of trade value, Beasley, Beverly, and Vanderbilt weren't that important, but they were three of your top six guys in minutes played, and you traded them for one guy. Like that's that's gonna hurt. So. Yeah, definitely some concerns about the Minnesota Timberwolves. So I like I feel like Portland is definitely better than fifty. I, not definitely. I I would assess their chances of being a top six team is better than fifty fifty at this point. What what is happening in Portland too though? They're actually playing defense. Oh, who's playing defense? Jeremy Grant, Josh Hart, Justice Winslow. They 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 wanted Jeremy Grant for so long, uh, and they finally got him. Jason Quick on the Athletic on Monday had a story about. Damian Lillard falling in love with Jeremy Grant's game and, and deciding that he wanted him on the Blazers during the Olympics in 2021. Oh, really? Yeah, which is a kind of a well-known thing that that had happened. But that, so he that's actually what the got Blazers them. consistent. Like it was like well-known fact that the Blazers just wanted Jeremy. Yeah, Grant. I mean we talked about by hook or by crook they were getting Jeremy. When Grant. they traded C.J. McCollum, we were like, they've created this trade exception. It's precisely big enough to fit in Jeremy Grant's salary, and they're getting this draft pick. How's C.J. playing by the way? He's struggling so far this is season. He? Yeah. Wow. He's not making shots yet. He'll he'll be fine probably. New Orleans another interesting team. They're they're a little bit better in point differential. They're seven and six. I think they'll probably be in the top six. But but it's okay. I mean, Dame wanted to play with Jeremy Grant. Yes. Dame finally got Jeremy Grant, and it's working perfectly. I mean, he's been he. Uh, this was in quick story. He's the highest scoring Blazers forward since Lamarcus Aldridge left. Wow. And I mean, he's a vers- extremely versatile defender. They're playing a ton of zone, not the most in the league, but nearly as much as anyone in the league. GP2 hasn't played a game yet, right? Has not played yet. And, and Shaden Sharp, we haven't mentioned his name yet. Oh, I don't think I wasn't coming there. Like About my dude Shadon. Like, Shaden right name. I, I keep doing this too. It's Shaden, not Shadon. Uh, I, don't, I don't think he's actually that good of a, an NBA player right this second. But also, he's 19 years old and didn't play any basketball last year. So... For him to be like a perfectly acceptable rotation player at this point is very exciting about his future. And the thing about Shaden, he literally moves different than anyone I have ever seen before. Not just how well he jumps, which is incredible, but like he just he floats from one spot to the next on the court so quickly. I, I've never seen anything like it. Really? Yes. Which is weird because I mean it makes sense because I don't watch any basketball. <laughs> oh, yeah. The spreadsheets don't float anywhere. <laughs> Sometimes they float. <laughs> you just hit Control Z and undo that. <laughs> don't worry. Uh, so Shay the Dawn is moving around. Yes. Uh, how how much is he actually contributing though? I mean, he's giving them important minutes and and was really key. I think that was the first Phoenix win when everybody was out. So for like a nineteen year old. I mean, what the Blazers have set up, like it's very like the comparison I've made to you, I think offline is it's like Tariq Woolen, like Tariq Woolen actually has gone way beyond this because Tariq Woolen is just like a very good NFL cornerback right now, especially when you put Tom Brady against him uh-huh. <laughs> as a wide receiver. <laughs> but like the it's like I was saying about Tariq Woolen at the start of the season, just the fact that he's starting when he was considered a long term project is such good news, and that's the same thing about Shaden. I think it's more like Kobe Bryant too. Maybe I don't know. I mean, I don't know if they want to invoke that name. <laughs> like, that's a that's a real high bar to put on anyone. But 
Yeah, I meant I mean, Kobe Bryant, the Seahawks cornerback. Oh, Kobe Bryant. Oh, oh, oh. I meant Kobe with a C. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, Jaden Sharp is probably... I thought I was comparing him to Kobe. <laughs> well, Kobe Bryant is a very different situation because that Kobe, C. Kobe Bryant is like 23 and super polished product. It made sense that he's playing right away. <laughs> Uh, C. Kobe Bryant is like I don't I don't know who the NBA comparison is, like Jose Alvarado. You loved him too. Oh, of course. <laughs> uh, I'm just excited. I'm excited about there being a competitive Blazers team and to have something to be paying attention to this year in the NBA. Like, yeah. I I think it's been. It, I'm not shocked though because. As I've said to you, I think my biggest realization through this NFL season and the MLB season, the MLB season, like the NFL season, is that, and even the NBA season, right? Like you look at the Lakers. Obviously, the Lakers have two very, very good players. And then... Yeah. And they're not a good team. They're one of the worst teams in the Western Conference or whatever. And it just takes a lot of dudes. You have to have a lot of very good players to be a very good team in almost any sport. So the Jazz, I looked up players who have at least 0.4 wins above replacement player by my metric so far this season. The Jazz have eight of them, which is the most in the league. Really? Which I think is a major factor in their overachieving. I wonder if there was a, if I could blame Donald Stern for this, or Donald Stern, David Stern for this. <laughs> it, was, it was an interesting... <laughs> If I could blame David Stern for this, but there was the superstarification of the NBA, right? Where it's like one player changes everything. And the, I think the thing that we've learned over time is that's just not the case. Obviously, having by, when you mean over, say over time, you mean since July 1st, 2019. The second that LeBron signed with the Lakers? No. Not what? when LeBron signed with the Lakers, when Kawhi, I mean, it was when Kawhi and Kawhi PG was, signed with the Clippers? It was actually July 5th. Okay. It was yeah. there. There was no Yeah, yeah. That was when Kawhi signed with the Clippers and Paul George got traded to the Clippers immediately after Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving had gone to Brooklyn. And so all of a sudden you had three super teams because earlier that, like uh-huh. the month before, so had- Anthony Davis had been traded to the Lakers. Okay. And you had the Lakers and the Clippers and the Nets. And all of those teams currently are being outscored on the season. Now, Brooklyn does have a We basically got one good season. Eh, the Nets had a good season. Yes. There, there have been some good seasons in there. But like... There's one championship between those three teams. The Clippers have had some dudes also, though. Like, the reason that the Clippers were competitive, even while Yes, PG they also still have depth. And Kawhi were injured is because they had depth. Correct. Right? But that's, that's what it takes, is you just need a lot of good players. So Portland, by that measure, is it six players above .4 wins above replacement. It's the five starters. And then Nas Little has been awesome off the bench this season. He's shooting like 43% on threes. So that, the depth is working in their favor. I, I feel like that's a little bit like it's too overly simple, but just having a lot of really good players in a sport is the most important thing to being good at the sport. And maybe the most underrated part. And, and there's different ways to assign value to get those good players or whatever. But generally speaking, if you have a lot of good players, you're going to be good. And that's why you and the computer were wrong about the Portland Trailblazers. <laughs> Happy to be wrong about that one so far. Should we get into the roundup? I've, I've, whoa. You had another blazer thoughts? I just, some sort of sound. Uh, Hit control C. <laughs> oh, that was an old chat from you that says UW has two white guys on the court. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was accurate at the time. <laughs> it was accurate at the time. Uh, I just had to say that I've got some urgent and breaking news. What's that? For the 
possible future return of Coach's Corner. Oh, wow. Have you been roped into coaching again? I've been roped into coaching like again. Like a moth I, to I the flame. I might have been roped into coaching three <laughs> children's basketball teams because you know what? Wait, all three of your children are going to play? Yeah, they, they added a kindergarten basketball league this year just in time for be be able to coach my kindergartner because... Does, does he know about this? Oh, too. He's excited. Wherever you can look, wherever there's a kid... So desperate to play basketball, I'll be there. Wherever there's a group of kids needing to be coached out alone in the cold, I'll be there. I'll be in the way that coaches yell when they're mad. That's where I'll be. So the return of Coach's Corner is coming with not once, not twice, but thrice games per week and children to yell at. Three times the hashtag content. <laughs> we'll see how many of these teams I'm an assistant coach for. <laughs> and whether you know it. <laughs> I'm just going to write down the assistant coach. I'm just going to write down ESPN's coming <laughs> Please do not do that. I, th- I think the stuff you do and your knowledge of statistics is going to be most helpful at the kindergarten oh, level. Yeah, yeah, very organized. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of shot selection. They were like, they were like the level of play last year for the first graders that I coached. They were like, that was so good. The level of play I was never so saw the high. First graders wow, wow! You don't even like your nephews. Can't even support your nephews. No, I like my oldest nephew apparently because I saw him <laughs> his team play. Well, they were they were balling. They were pretty good. Yeah, yeah, they could hoop. They could hoop. I had them coached up well. Um, I had them assistant coached up the one game I sat on the bench. But, no, oh, that was fun. I just it's, need a person to talk to. And I was I'm the only person who never has an assistant coach either because fucking Katie won't do it anymore. So I just sit there. I'm, like, all alone just, like, ta- chattering with the kids or whatever. I, I believe I was streaming the UW men's basketball game while I was on the bench. <laughs> I need that, too, for my assistant coach. <laughs> That's what Keelan DeBoer and Ryan Grubb were fighting about. <laughs> <laughs> the Blazers were playing Saturday night during the <laughs> yeah. game. I love the idea that they're anyway. Just like hate Oregon so much, but you know it's really nice. The Blazers got some dudes. I mean, Kevin DeBoer from South Dakota. He's got to be a Bulls fan, right? You feel like that's? Oh yeah. What about Denver? Well, Minnesota would be the potential geographically closest team. You're saying that he grew up in the Jordan era, though, and like when Minnesota was an expansion team, like. They didn't exist his entire lifetime, so he's almost certainly a Bulls okay. fan. We, we have figured out what NBA team Kalen DeBoer is a fan of. <laughs> anyway, I'm just I'm I'm so fascinated to see the rules of kindergarten basketball. I'm just like, if you think there's going to be a dribble, you're tripping. <laughs> well, it's going to be some great content to get us through this winter. Let's get to the roundup, starting with the Kraken, who. Are not no longer on their winning streak. Ah. That came to an end Friday as they started their homestand with a one nothing loss to the Minnesota <clears throat> Wild, who got even after being on the wrong end of a Kraken shutout in Minnesota the previous week. Then the Kraken were on the wrong end of a late comeback Sunday as the Winnipeg Jets scored with five seconds remaining in regulation to force overtime, winning 3-2 there and leaving the Kraken with only a point. The Kraken played those games without defenseman Jamie Alexiak, who was placed on IR with a lower body injury last week. They'll continue their extended homestand this week with the New York Rangers making their lone visit on Thursday, followed by the Los Angeles Kings on Saturday. Uh, A very quick Sounders update as there was no update from the expansion draft. No Sounders players were selected. 
as is more or less expected. But they did expose uh, center back Jackson Reagan, who played a pretty important role for them as a young player off the bench last season. So good to see him not be selected. On the OL Reign front, the inaugural NWSL free agency begins in earnest Tuesday when teams can begin signing players to contracts, although negotiations were actually allowed to begin starting August 26th and keeping with the global soccer transfer market where you have pre-contracts usually. Uh, Lou Barnes, Tobin Heath, Megan Rapino, and Nikki Stanton are the four OL Reign players who are free agents. The team re-signed starters Sam Hyatt and Quinn to uh, new two-year deals through 2024, ensuring they will stay with the rain. UW men's soccer, the perfect season came to an end last <sighs> week as they lost 1-0, hosting Oregon State, which netted the game's lone goal in the 84th minute. This was a week for, for, for number, number one teams losing. And the Eagles being the other? And fantasy football. Oh, <laughs> Zach Whitman. Zach Whitman. Zach Whitman going down. Finally went down. You and I, all Kingslaying this week. You, I, you I beat, beat me as the number I one team. I beat the number the one team in both of the leagues that I was in, and you beat Zach Whitman. You happen to be the number one team I, in one of those leagues. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Zach Whitman went, went, down, went down like his beloved Husky men's soccer team. There was a narrow window entering Monday night. I needed A.J. Brown to score between like 12 points and 23 points to win both matchups uh, because he scored 1.7 points. Spoiler alert, he did, <laughs> he did not. not get there. <laughs> I lost to you, but beat Zach, which is good because that was the one I really cared about anyway. Beating uh, me doesn't... A victory against me should be like a college football championship. But I kind of want you in the playoffs. Why? Since you stay in the Champions League by your oh, own credit you instead I'm, of by me potentially making both playoffs. I can, I can make the playoffs in the other league. I'm 6-4 and four in that league. All right, we'll, we'll see. Well, maybe we'll both make the playoffs in both leagues. In but both then leagues? Who knows who gets invited to Not the Champions League. He's gone. He's, his team is struggling. I told Mrs. Fantasy Genius he was he was out of the league in general, completely. Wow. I was like, not everybody gets to play fantasy football every, every year, every week against Zach Whitman, Ben Baldwin, Reese... <laughs> Chris I was, Smith I was like Cousin Katie No that's the oh, other league not in The league, league that he's I in say. I'm like This is a privilege You should be honored To play fantasy football Against these people Or in any ways You know men's soccer uh, Oregon State netted The game's lone goal In the 84th minute Is the first time All season an opponent Has kept a clean sheet Against the Huskies Who had six shots on goal You'll recall the Beavers also handed UW their only loss last regular season prior to the NCAA championship game, which was also at UW Soccer Stadium. So Oregon State has we their number been there. at home. If we were in the house, they would have won that game. Well, maybe we can be there for the NCAA tournament because despite the loss, the Huskies are in the number two overall seed in the tournament in a first round bye. They'll host the winner of Creighton and Missouri State on Sunday at 5 p.m. Pacific as their first tournament game. UW's quadrant of the bracket also includes number 7 seed Duke, number 10 seed Florida International, number 15 seed Tulsa. Huskies would host any of those games prior to the Final Four. I can tell you I'm definitely not going on a Sunday. In but Cary, North Carolina. <clears throat> and when is the next match? I don't know the schedule after that. All right. Well, I, I would definitely it may consider not be set it yet. for anything following that. I mean, it's Sunday, Sunday night, so... Sunday is a sacred day. Okay. Seven hours. Commercial free football. (laughs) (laughs) Then you also get the cherry on top with three more hours of football. The president is watching seven hours of commercial (laughs) free football. (laughs) 
Among other Pac-12 teams, Stanford is the number five seed. After this seed. week, the president earned it, too. Uh-huh. The number five seed in the tournament, Oregon State is the number eight seed, and UCLA advanced unseeded. So four teams from the eight-team Pac-12 in the NCAA tournament. Uh, UW women's basketball moved to 2-0 two, two on Friday, beating UC Davis 82-60 at home. Newcomer Delea Daniels led the team with 16 points on 7 of 9 shooting, while Haley Van Dyke had 14 on 5 of 9 shooting and a team-high 6 rebounds. Six other UW players scored at least 6 points as coach Tina Langley was able to go deep into the bench. The Huskies will host UC Irvine on Thursday and Idaho State on Saturday. UW men's basketball hasn't always been pretty. But they are 3-0 on the young season despite injuries to Noah Williams and Keon Brooks Jr. We knew Noah Williams was injured because he left the opener. It's a knee injury, and according to Percy Allen, going to be out, expected to miss several weeks with that injury. Well, Keon Brooks Jr. has a leg injury. It's day-to-day, but missed both of their games they played last weekend. Over the last week, I should say. But the Huskies still came through with a 75-67 win Friday versus North Florida, a 78-67 win Monday versus Utah Tech. And the common denominator here, freshman guard Keon Manifield, who stepped into the starting lineup with these injuries, uh, he had a game-high 21 points on 7 of 21 shooting on Friday. Not very efficient, but he took care of that on Monday against Utah Tech when he scored a career-high 26 points on 9 of 14 shooting. Yeah, Utah Tech. Including 4 of Take 6 that. threes. <laughs> like, this is this is a dude. Keon Menefield. No, I, I agree. He's a but star. also, there's the level of competition. I mean, he was the, the only player playing on Friday. Like, he, yes, he was responsible for creating the entire UW offense for the stretches of that game. So how how was Keon Manyfield like recruited coming out of high school? Is he a highly ranked prospect? So we've talked about he was the leading scorer in the segment of the Nike EYBL, which is the premier AAU competition in which he played. And he's he's small, he's very skinny, was apparently even skinnier when he was in high school before getting on campus at UW. And that seemed to be the big factor in why he just was not recruited that heavily. And I don't think he was on a great EYBL team necessarily. Like he wasn't competing for championships at that level. So I think there was just kind of like, you know, skepticism about whether that would translate. And so far the answer is 100% yes. So Corin Johnson, who is the Seattle native, was the higher rated of the two guards coming to UW. But Menafield is the one who's starting. Corin Johnson has played some minutes off the bench. I mean, that, that matters though. The fact that in practice, Mike Hopkins is seeing them play and is just like, there's an opening and Keon Manyfield is ready to take that opening. I think that's a factor. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, and he's proven it thus far. Playing time to a certain extent is an indicator of how good a player is. Obviously, it's because of the opportunity a little bit more, but like... I mean, it's a somewhat loose indicator because sometimes coaches don't value the right things, but in a situation like this, clearly they are valuing the right things. So Frank Kepnong Kep also was a difference maker in the game against North Florida off the bench, recording a double-double of 16 points, 10 rebounds, with a pair of blocks. In Monday's game, the Huskies <clears> in the second <throat> half, they were they were trailing going into the second half. You may have seen uh, the, the fabulous Pelton quotes 
was, was feeling some feelings about UW men's basketball during the first half and hearkening back to your feelings about the 2020-21 season. But uh, Huskies rallied. They put Kepnong on the court with their other seven-foot center, Braxton Mia, to give them more size and uh, had taken a 61-58 lead at the time we, point we had a break of almost 20 minutes with 7.44 left in the game due to a shot clock malfunction. Oh, God. <laughs> Long side? I got to say, I have some concerns about UW's equipment that it's now two games this month, a football game and a men's basketball game, have been had these 20-minute delays due to equipment malfunctions. But uh, the Huskies managed to keep that momentum going after the break and uh, finished out the, the 78-67 win. So Huskies will continue unbeaten into Thursday's matchup against Cal Baptist. That's the last game they'll play at home before traveling for the Wooden Classic over the Thanksgiving break. The Lancers, who are in their fifth year as a Division One program, are rated <laughs> higher than any UW opponent to date after going 18-16 and 16 last season. They started with a 15-point loss at Long Beach State, but beat lowly New Jersey Institute of Technology in their home opener and faced Cal State Northridge on Tuesday before heading to Seattle. I've had some bands play at NJIT. Have you? Let me just say, they've been taken care of pretty nicely. Okay, well... So, I don't know if that says anything about their basketball program. It doesn't. But I oh. do think it's funny that at this point of the season, the types of opponents that UW is playing, you can you can actually count how many years they've been Division One <laughs> opponents. Well, uh, <laughs> Utah Tech has, has actually been a long time. They, they were formerly were known as Dixie State, but uh, oh, Dixie State in, made some NCAA tournaments. Yeah, I don't know if they did, but I you remember know picking Dixie, them. You like know the name Dixie matchup. State. Yeah, but they rebranded after the pandemic as Utah Tech, huh? Yeah, Dixie State wasn't good. I guess like Dixie, whistling Dixie, Dixie connotations. Okay, yeah. Yes, were problematic. So that's the decision to rename. Got it. Uh but that's the type of opponents they've been playing. So who's in the Wooden Classic? So Wooden Classic, their first game, they'll play Fresno State. And how long have they been at D1 school? <laughs> Tell me more about this. I don't know the Fresno. Don't know the number of years, but long <laughs> enough for Kalen DeBoer to have coached there multiple times. <laughs> uh, who else is in the Wooden Classic beyond Fresno State? So it's only a Are you sure the S bracket. is silent? <laughs> Fresno. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> we have really gone out of the rails here. The other two teams in the, the opposite game, the opposite semifinal from the Huskies, is St. Mary's against Vanderbilt. Well, and no matter what, they're starting right in the semifinals of the tournament. <laughs> yes, they can't finish any worse than fourth, <laughs> by definition. That's the good news. I mean, no, we'll see. No Williams is probably not going to be back for these. We'll see on that. Uh, no Williams, not. Yes. Keon Brooks Keon Jr., Brooks. maybe. And just having him would be a big advantage, especially because... You know, Menafield is doing a lot of the things you expected Noah Williams to do for the team in terms of shot creation from the perimeter. And Brooks is more irreplaceable. You know, they've been playing small with Cole Bajima as their power forward, and that's part of why they had to go to that two-big lineup and why it was so important for them. Which, defensively, it was pretty awesome because you can put one of those guys on the wing in the zone and that works. Offensively, though, it did cramp the spacing a bit. The two, the two-big lineup. Yeah. Cole Bajima spreading it out, though. Yeah. They're like, if we can have and they, four, like, dead, reaching subpar level shooters. They shot 12 of 20 on threes tonight. Wow. Led by Menafield's four of six. Badger was three of five. P.J. Fuller and Jamal Bay each made a pair of them. All right. So maybe not as terrible at shooting as you thought. There we go. All right, let's talk about UW football. First off, kind of upset. Like there, there wasn't enough. That should be like, let's talk about UW football. Let's talk about UW football. There we football. go. Thank you. 
Well, we're starting with a correction because of my assessment of their chances of getting to the title oh, game. Oh, so you were upset because you were wrong yeah. about something. That's, now I understand why you didn't want to talk about UW football. As the listener Ben Miller pointed out. There was the, something that you deleted last week because you pronounced... Oh, Amarillo. Yes, Amarillo? I pronounced it Amarillo. It's actually Amarillo, Texas. And so That's what I was explaining. You deleted it from the podcast. Was Northwest Texas. Well, it, was it that important to the podcast? No, you were wrong about something. So you just had to you had to get rid of it completely. Because when you were wrong about something, I just put it at the end. You, <laughs> you put it right in the middle. <laughs> anyway... Tyrone Wheatley. The list. Oh. <laughs> he did have a huge game against UW in the 1993-94 Rose Bowl. Yeah. He was the MVP of that game. Yeah. Had like two touchdowns of at least 45 yards. It was kind of amazing to look I'm back. I'm still at. pissed about his 10-yard organ. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the listener Ben Miller corrected me that so the Pac-12 tiebreakers state that if not all three teams played each other, you don't use or not uh, any number of multi-team tiebreaks. If you didn't all play each other, you don't use head-to-head record. So it's not the case that UW would win a tiebreak with Utah and Oregon if if Oregon beats Utah, because UW has not played Utah. So this is the first time that the Pac-12 has gone to this format of taking the two highest... Correct. The NCAA allowed that this season, and they were one of, I believe, two conferences that immediately moved to get rid of divisions and go straight to top two teams. I kind of feel like, is everybody moving in this direction? I think eventually. It's more important for the Pac-12 because the whole point of it is it makes your champion have a better chance of getting to the playoff because they play a tougher team. Whereas Alabama consistently loses the SEC East or West or whatever the fuck they're in and then makes, like it's almost like a a value add for Alabama to not get to play in the SEC championship game. (laughs) Is it not? They can't potentially lose. Yeah. Yeah. No. Like, but that's not going to be. This is not going to be the case here, where like USC or Utah lose, doesn't win the South, and goes to the college football playoff. But you're just like, I. What is it going to be? LSU and Georgia in the SEC championship game? It's always just like, all right, fine, right? Like you could have a very fun game, and instead it's kind of just like, "Eh, okay. Right. Like making the college football playoff. This is why we need a larger playoff, though. These are all reasons why we need a larger playoff because. There, we're, we're being deprived of good games because people are so scared of not making this four-team playoff. I mean, it's possible that teams will do that in the future. So the by setting these absurd parameters around it, it's just like, well, I guess we get a crappy game. I mean, I don't think that LSU and Georgia would necessarily be a crappy but game. Georgia and Alabama is a better game. I mean, Alabama and LSU are in the same division. They're or, just not going because they lost to LSU. Well, yes, but like... Georgia and Tennessee is probably a better game. Potentially, yes. That would be anyway, the one that would... Fuck about SEC football, right? The Pac-12 is good! So there are a couple of scenarios where UW still can make the title game. One of them is if Utah loses its next two games, which is unlikely as Utah finishes against Colorado. We'll talk about them in a second. UW Dogpan also found a scenario that I didn't. If UCLA loses both remaining games and therefore drops... Who does UCLA in, have next? They B- have... Before... They have... No, USC is this weekend. Oh, okay. And then they finish at Cal. So they're very likely to win that game, but it's not inconceivable yeah, no, that's not they a, could Cal, lose that Cal's game. a competitive team. So then Oregon State also would have to win, beat both Oregon and Arizona State. Oregon would have to beat Utah. 
in that scenario, it looks like the tiebreak would probably favor UW. <laughs> like, we've gotten to a scenario where we don't actually know. I mean, how they actually interpret the tiebreakers sometimes is very confusing. I, I think we can just confidently say UW's probably not playing in the Pac-12 championship It probably shouldn't be our focal point at this point. H- how about now, the most important thing is we beat Oregon and let's just go win the next two games and see what happens from there. And if you do win the next two games and see what happens from there, one of the possibilities is you could be in a non, you know, non-Rose Bowl uh, New Year's Six game. Or I guess even possibly the Rose Bowl in the hypothetical world where a Pac-12 team plays in the, the playoff. So I mean, UW could benefit from literally what I was talking about. Yes, which is if it's a, a Utah USC or whatever uh, USC Oregon some some sort of combination of Pac-12 championship. Whoever loses that might fall down below. Or I mean, also US. Uh, I think UCLA is still above them in the rankings. They're by definition, them or USC is going to lose next week. Like there's a lot of these teams that play each other. So I think if you win out, there's a pretty good chance. We don't know what the college football playoff standings are, rankings are yet. Those come out Tuesday I, I night. I think they'll probably look pretty similar. One would think. So the Huskies number 15 in both the AP I still looked at that and I'm like, what has Oregon done, right? What did Oregon do? They beat UCLA at home. Like, good for you, dude. We lost to UCLA in a close game on the road and then beat your ass at home. So I don't, I don't really get... I mean, Dude, was the, it the fifty-one to three that excited them against about Oregon when they played a real opponent? The advanced stats do not favor you know vis-a-vis Oregon. But you understand what I'm saying? If if how much do you think that the AP pollsters are paying attention to the quote-unquote advanced stats? Because I think it's very low. A little. I'm I'm just saying, what has Oregon done that has made it like the two Pac-12 losses versus one is a big deal? Is beating Michigan I mean, State I think not better than you're losing two, 51 But your to three? two losses are two good teams, as opposed to UW's two losses. One of them is to a very, like a very mediocre team at best. I don't think that the AP understands how hard it is to play at Arizona State. They they may not understand the specifics of the Huskies' history in the desert. But does Oregon have what you would call an impressive victory? I mean, UCLA is their most impressive victory, yes. Get the fuck out of here. UCLA sucks. UCLA is still ahead of UW. That is not a good team. But by your standard of UW should be ranked out of Oregon because they beat them at... No. Because it was on the road? We beat them in their house. You think UCLA comes into Seattle, Washington and wins? UCLA also may not be ranked out of this. I I don't think that's right. I think I'm forgetting this. Home of Stoop Brewing in Seattle, Washington. Yeah, UCLA is actually precisely one spot behind UW in both polls. They're number 16. They should be out of the top 25 completely. Oregon and Utah would be the teams that are playing next week where one of those two teams is guaranteed to lose and may drop behind the Huskies. But so Oregon and Utah are playing this week. Correct. And USC and UCLA are playing this week. Yes. So if UW beats Colorado in the rankings, they are probably going to be... I guess they'll probably be the third highest ranked Pac-12 team. Yes. Depending on some kind of combination. Of they'll be behind those two winners. Yes. Yes. Anyway, I just, I feel like Oregon, Oregon's a good team, statistically, or whatever. They are a good and scary team, but I don't think that their resume is that impressive. I don't feel like they've done anything on the field that would necessarily indicate to me that they should be ranked higher than UW. Like, UW has not lost a game 51-3. to I understand it's Georgia, but... I, look, if we played Georgia, I... I you don't, don't think that Michael Penix could score more than three points against I Georgia? I think he'd probably score more than three points, but Bo Nix has had an incredible season. 
the, Let's be clear. would lose to Georgia, but I think that it would be a closer game than 51-3. I don't think that's unfair. The point spread would not be 48 points. It wouldn't be 48 points. I agree with that. But even the strength of record, which doesn't consider, I don't think, uh, point differential, but the strength of re- record measure that ESPN does has Oregon 13th, UW 17th. All right. Which is basically where they're ranked. Fine. Uh, also, Oregon gets to host, they're hosting Utah, right? I believe so. How did Oregon end up hosting all these games? I mean, they, it rotates between year to year. I, I don't know what to tell you on that one, man. This was their year. That's the other beautiful thing about what UW did, because everything came together. Everything coalesced for the University of Oregon this year. You got Bo Nix on his last year in college, right? Uh, I think... It's always murky. Yeah. <laughs> Bo Nix probably will be playing in the NFL. I, I think it's safe to say he's going to leave. <laughs> Look, the, the NIL deals in Eugene aren't that good. Uh, you have Bo Nix last year in college. You have them hosting basically every competitive opponent at home. Yeah, I gotta, say, State. I gotta say the road schedule is pretty pretty remarkable. It's, I mean, the Cougs were their hardest road game other than And they Georgia. almost lost it. They probably should have lost. Oregon... Look, I don't mean to minimize UW's victory, but Oregon is bad. Their other road games were Arizona, Cal, and Colorado. Pretty, pretty friendly. But, of course, Arizona State was a pretty friendly road game in its own right. Uh, UW injury front. Jordan. They put Perry. it in the middle of the day. The Pac-12 went out of their way to fuck us in that game. I don't think the Pac-12 handles that. What? It was Fox Sports. Was it Fox? I, it, it could have been any network. Any number of networks. <clears throat> Cornerback uh, Jordan Perryman is day to day. Backup cornerback Davon Banks out for the season. They're just Kalen like DeBoer. <laughs> he didn't travel for the Oregon game, which meant that true freshman Javion Green replaced Perryman on Saturday. It's not terrible. Also, was not tested as much as he could have been because Oregon did not throw it that much. But they ran like, it so much. The, the Bonix running offense. Is, I, the Bonix is a good, legitimately good runner. Yeah, but also. Anyway, Alex Cook stopped him. They're like, we are a conference that plays many games after dark. And they're like, you know what? What game should we have in the middle of the day? Let's find the hottest college in the early part of the season and put that game in the middle of the day. No way that could be a 7.30 start. Every other game in the Pac-12 is a 7.30 start, except for this one game. A good team wins no matter the circumstances. That's bullshit. Against them. Uh, senior day coming up for the Huskies. A good team does not win at 6.30 a.m. Pacific time. <laughs> many, many teams have, actually. I looked that up. The record of Pacific uh, West Coast teams playing at 6.30. Playing the Jaguars? Yes, this mostly the, the Jaguars. Yes. This was the only time that there were two division leaders playing each other in Europe. That's correct. So, I don't... Great that they won. Who did they beat? The Lions? It's senior day Saturday for the Huskies against Colorado, which enters 1-9 with their lone victory over Cal at home. That was Mike Sanford's debut as interim head coach, replacing former UW offensive coordinator Carl Durrell. But since then, the Buffaloes have lost their last three by an average of 30 points per game, including matchups against Oregon. And uh, their last four, I should say, by an average of 30 points per game, including matchups against Oregon and last week USC. It's a pretty amazing change from last year when you recall that Colorado, in the same week of the season, beat a UW team <laughs> that was playing with an interim head coach in Boulder to finish with an identical record to the Huskies, both overall and in was conference I drive- play. We were driving to Oregon that day, That's right? That's correct. Yeah. That was the day that we went to the Blazers game. 
Uh, leading rusher Jarek Broussard transferred. He was at Michigan State, lost to the Huskies already this season. Quarterback Brendan Lewis lost his starting job after the season opener and now announced his plans to transfer. And his replacement, J.T. Shroud, has completed just 45% of his passes for 5.9 yards per attempt. Colorado ranks 120. Like Russell fit. Wilson stats, am I right? We don't want to talk about it. Colorado <laughs> ranks 120. They just, they, they're both quarterbacks in Colorado. I had to draw the comparison. <laughs> well, Colorado State is bad, bad too, so it's a real rough year for football <laughs> in the state of Colorado. I don't know how Air Force is doing. Uh, Colorado ranks 125th in FBI efficiency out of 131 FBS teams, last among the Power Five conference teams by a wide margin. The next worst is Northwestern at 111th. They are 127th in offense, but not much better on defense where they rank 110. <laughs> oh, so Colorado is very bad. The 31-point line for this game is tied with the Portland State game that was an FCS opponent, <laughs> you'll recall, for the largest this season for UW. You can't even count how many years Portland State's been D1. Uh, <laughs> Zero minus years. Uh, they actually are D1, which is not FBS, <laughs> okay. of course. Uh I gotta say, I'm, I would take Colorado in the 31 points. I do, I do think they they can maybe keep it closer than that. No way. What? By what measure? If UW doesn't care at all about this game and is sort of just like, if they're riding the high of Oregon and looking for to Wazoo, but this offense can operate without needing the urgency of it. That's that's what is so good about this UW offense is they're gonna put up. 45, 50 points in this game. So, is Colorado going to score 21? Yeah, that's... that's a, okay, maybe you've talked me into it. The UW offense is going to score almost every single time they touch the ball. They did that against... Or the Oregon defense was good, right? Heading into this year. Or was it not? I mean, it was not as terrible as some of the Pac-12 defenses. <laughs> I wouldn't say it was good. Okay. But they've done it almost every single week when it wasn't a windstorm. So <laughs> I, I think that it's supposed to be beautiful and sunny on Saturday, right? It, it, the forecast looks shockingly good for late November for a, a senior day. This one, they, they managed to... Well, uh, they, they only lost by 25 to TCU. Oh, that was at home. That's really nice. Yeah. That, you know what? The, the Broncos held it close with the Titans. <clears throat> it was. It was a close game. We're discussing whether they could cover the 30-point spread, not whether they could win the game. <laughs> I just, I don't really conceive how, if they can't take advantage, if if you're not the kind of offense who can take advantage of the UW defense, the other side ain't going to do it for you. This is, uh, this is all a fair point. And they don't have that offense. I mean, to me, the the most important question for this game for UW, quite frankly, is... Are we going to see Sam Heward? Yeah, can we get some playing time for Dylan <clears throat> Morris and Sam Heward in the fourth quarter of this one? Because like in the in the early going, it was like, oh, we need to get Michael Penix reps with the first team. It's like that that's that's good now. We're we're all good on that. If he plays the first half, that would be awesome, and sits out the entire second half, that would be amazing. If the Huskies win out, Michael Penix is as amazing as he was on Sunday. Is there any chance he's a Heisman finalist? I think there's a chance. Yeah. Has UW since Steve Entman had a Heisman finalist? No, Marcus Tuiasosopo was the closest they came, and he wasn't a finalist. Okay. I mean, it's still, I think, very difficult to do on the West Coast, especially as a non-conference champion, but uh, it's he's, not inconceivable. He's having an incredible season. He is having an incredible statistical season, and it's translating to victories. So <laughs> It almost sounded like you were insulting him somehow. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> okay. By adding the caveat, you made it seem like like you were like like he's he's both doing well statistically and winning games. I mean, <laughs> sometimes it sound like is it both? You remain to be convinced or something. <laughs> uh, let me ask you a question about Michael Penix Jr. Are what is his eligibility for next year? Do he's we know? Eligible. Yeah. He's eligible. Yeah. So it's on Michael Penix. If he feels like he's an NFL draft prospect, which he probably is not at this point. I, the widespread assumption from everyone covering the program is that this will be his his only year at UW. Really? Yes. Okay. He's just ready to go to the NFL. I mean, it's been five years in college already. Yeah. So. Look, you can only be in the state of Indiana for so long. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that's really. I just feel like I have to slander Big Ten country again. <laughs> <laughs> really good at that rivalry going. <laughs> Uh, chances of there's a person today at school pickup who was like, I'm flying to Indianapolis tomorrow, and I was like, Luxurious. <laughs> Just, oh, I was in LA where it was 70 degrees and sunny, and I had the best pizza in the country. But I've heard there's some nice steakhouses in Indianapolis. Just unnecessarily. If you ever wanted to trade for Russell Wilson, that's a great place to go. Uh, <clears throat> buyer beware. Uh, <laughs> I don't 99%. Uh, 98. FBI says 97, right? I yeah. like that we're both like slightly more confident. Than I, it would be, it would be incredible. It's no offense to the city of Indianapolis. I'm sure it's very nice. The Pacers team, they're pretty fun, right? No. Is Matherin playing well? Yeah. I'm really just talking to Mike. I just don't want Mike to be upset. <laughs> I mean, he's not currently living in Indianapolis. Oh, where's he? Did he move back here? Yeah. Oh, see, he knows what's up. All right. All right, let's talk about the Seahawks. When did Mike move back here? I feel like that happened at some point. I mean, maybe I'm misremembering <laughs> that. Uh, well, he but, better be at the next. But Tulsa Tom live. Lewis is still in, in Indianapolis. Oh, Indy Cornrows? So, yeah. Okay. So Matherin's playing awesome. Uh, 20 points a game off the bench. And Tyrese Halliburton is top 10 in warp. There we go. So, Oh, is he really? Oh, yeah. And is Sabonis playing well? He's playing solid. Kings are Kings are looking up, though. Well, they made the best pick of the draft. No. I mean, Keegan Murray, I, I mean, again, I liked him the best, but Matherin by far has been the best pick of the draft really? so far. Oh, yeah. Matherin has played much better than Murray. Is Murray. he, like, rookie of the year? Well, no, because Paolo Bancaro is averaging the most points by a rookie in, like, 30 years. Is he? Yeah. I feel like it's been a quiet rookie of the year campaign for Paolo. Well, it's two weeks <laughs> in, but... Are the Magic any good? They're frisky. Bull Bull is good now. Oh, he's on the Magic? Yeah. I've seen all about how Bobo is blocking like 30% of every shot that's taken against him. Bobo, I mean, I just, I, Luke Ridenour is probably my all-time favorite Oregon alum in basketball, but uh, Bobo is way high up there. Especially, he never played against UW, so it's hard to like hold him being in Oregon against him from that standpoint. I'm really trying to think about my favorite Oregon. Because football, there's some Oregon players that I don't, I don't mind, right? Maurice Morris. Oh He's yeah, like but I also like I Seahawks. like Justin Herbert as an NFL player. Yeah, I like Mariota as an NFL player. Yeah, that's not going as great. But <clears throat> uh, basketball, I mean, like, I feel like Aaron Brooks, he fucked up. Like, Aaron Brooks could have been a Seattle legend had he gone to UW, but by going to Oregon, he kind of like he he for he like lost that status. But Only some, Jamal Crawford. But somehow the that. Ryan Appleby affair made him 
made him look better. You understand Seattle. what I'm saying though? Like, I feel like players don't. Th- when you're 18, you're not really thinking about that. You're just like, I need to get to Eugene, Oregon, to spend more time because that'd be a great place to spend a few years. But uh, to Seattle, not a, not a very good city in that regards. Eugene's really nice. Some people, for a variety of situations, need to feel the need to get out of the city. I understand. I understand. But I still feel like Aaron Brooks gets a little bit of like being Seattle from Seattle. Yeah. yeah, of course. All right, now let's talk about the Seahawks. 21-16 loss <clears throat> to Tampa Bay at Allianz Arena in Munich at 6.30 a.m. Pacific time on Sunday. They only dropped one spot to sixth in DVOA. So you were saying yesterday it wasn't a bad loss, and I agree 100% with that. Like Tampa Bay is a good team, and they probably looked offensively, I think, the best that they've looked maybe all season on Sunday because they actually were able to run the ball, which will be interesting to see how the Seahawks and Pete Carroll react to that because he prides himself on the defense starting with the run game. Pete Carroll did not, after the game, what did he say? Did he say they ran the ball against us and that's why we lost? What did he say? He said it came down to third downs. He did say that, yes, which was true. That's what it came down to. The Seahawks picked up one third down all game. They picked it up in the third quarter, and I was telling Luca, who was up at like 9 a.m., I was like, that was the, maybe earlier? like Probably probably 8.30. I was like, that was the first third down that we've picked up all game. And then they did not pick up one after that. Truly amazing. And the Buccaneers, I get that they were short third downs, but the reality is you can have short third downs and still not get them. Yeah. An incomplete pass on third down. It, what It still is an incomplete pass, and you're most likely going to punt if it's third and two or if it's third and ten. And the Bucks completed a lot of passes on third down. That's what Pete Carroll brought up. I had this worry about Pete Carroll. I, I don't, I, he made one very bad fourth down decision in the game. Yes. He thought he was playing in a different game than he was playing in. And... Uh, I, I don't think there were any... The second fourth down that they didn't go for, I, it was never going to happen. Like, that wasn't... That was the fourth and two in their own territory. Yeah, yeah. there's not... I, also, don't think, I don't think the vast majority of NFL... Like, probably 32 NFL coaches would not go for that. For that one, yes. But also with the way that they were running the ball in short yardage situations, like, Ken Walker did not have a good game. Ken Walker the third, 17 yards on 10 carries in this one. The worst game of the season for the Seahawks, naturally, in rush offense, DVOA. And if you want to give credit to Pete Carroll, he adjusted. They yeah. ran on first downs three of eight times in the first half. In the second half, I, I may have miscounted by one or two here, but they I believe they had 18 first down plays. They ran one time. They yeah. designed run one time. Geno scrambled a few times. And coincidentally, they punted five times in the first half and not once in the second half when their only non-scoring drive was the Geno Smith fumble in the red zone. <sighs> Uh, this wasn't a break-in-case-of-emergency good offense situation, I don't think. They do have that level still, which is a good thing. Do you think they've got another level beyond what we saw in the second half to go to? No, I think that it was a, let's just start passing the ball. For the Seahawks, we can't run, let's pass the ball. For the Seahawks under Russell Wilson, it was a like, they would wait. You You remember these Rams games, right? It would be like, six to three or whatever brutal games and they would wait till the very last second to break out the good offense well i think that is part of why it was desperation because it wasn't six to three it was 14 to but nothing the, the seahawks brought out the good offense way earlier and way more naturally than they have in the past 
It was the same thing that they did. Like, I don't blame them necessarily for running earlier. They just, they just look tired. Like, I do think we talked about the, the travel being a factor. And I don't know if the travel is a factor, but the reality is these players for most of the season are not awake at 6.30 a.m. Pacific time. <laughs> Russell Wilson is awake at 6.30 a.m. Maybe he is. Yeah. But like the one time Russell Wilson played in Europe, you got to play at 10 a.m. It's true. So that is an extraordinarily difficult time to play a game. And you can't, your body cannot adjust that much in three days. When we're talking about maybe your and my body can adjust if I'm just like going to work and going to drink some pints after. But like when we're talking about playing football when you need your body to be at the maximum possible, are you quoting something here? At the maximum possible ability or whatever, it is a huge difference. And those three hours matter. The Buccaneers have played games pretty close time wise to this. Your body being at 9.30 a.m. versus your body being at 6.30 a.m. is a difference. They don't have pints there on the metric system. <laughs> I can't figure, figure out what the actual reference to make here was. Isn't like, England on, on the metric system too? Yes. But, but they I call them the, pints. You know, uh, but traditional, the older uh, people in England still use the imperial units. They did invent them. <laughs> I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> imperial units is the name of the system what, of measurement that what we, we do? use. Yeah. The imperial units? Or, like we're we fucking were, Star Wars we over were, here? <laughs> we were part of the Empire. I hate to break it to you. <laughs> we were part of the our, Empire. Our, our revenge uh, wor worked out quite well in terms of the Empire. We're, we're simultaneously the, <laughs> the resistance and the Empire at the same time. <laughs> You know, there's there's some readings of the text that would Im implicate that maybe the resistance was necessarily the bad guys. It's okay. Uh, but that matters. And I really think all things considered, when you look at this game, how close the Seahawks were, it was a great game. Like, I, I don't, not even just justifying a loss, the Seahawks played, they, they did not fold in the second half. They came very close. To winning this game. If they had gotten the ball back, you felt like they would have had a oh, great chances. Absolutely. They scored those two touchdowns. Gino was awesome, right? Like you look at Gino, his PFF grade was excellent again. Gino played a very, very good game. There was a drop that DK had on a third down. Maybe Gino looked a little bit uncomfortable in the pocket a couple times, but also. Who doesn't look uncomfortable in the pocket a few times? We saw Pat Mahomes do well, that against playing, the Titans two weeks ago. Feet of exactly. Like, we saw math Super Bowl winner somehow. Look, we'll see long-term when, when all the votes are counted if the Rams actually won that Super Bowl. But You're still waiting saw, on the call? <laughs> waiting on the call, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> I think the precincts are reporting, all precincts. Wait, wait, what is the quote? <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. Seattle knows BS when they see it. <laughs> um, but Super Bowl winner Matthew Stafford was bothered by the pressure from Tampa Bay. Pat Mahomes was bothered by the pressure from the Titans. Every quarterback. We saw Justin Herbert not look good at all against that 49ers defense. Good quarterbacks look bothered by pressure sometimes. Justin Herbert doesn't look good in a while now. Yeah, he's a duck. Um, but he's playing through injury. Geno Smith. Yeah. 
He's playing through wide receivers being injured. That too. Uh, Geno Smith being slightly bothered by some pressure in the first half of a game and then getting comfortable in the second half is not a concern. That's I mean, I don't think anyone's raising that is a concern. I think people are raising that the first half looked a lot we, like the bad Seahawks offense of years past combined with the fourth down decision. Now, I, I do think that they adjusted enough in the second half that I they adjusted drastically feel good about things. More but drastically like, than they ever have. Yeah. I'm just saying, let's not victory lap this one just yet. I'm not going to victory lap it, but I'm not going to... I feel like there is a sect of fan base, of the Seahawks fan base, that is in this room who is <laughs> waiting for the bad stuff to happen. Yeah. In, instead of just Because we've trusting. grown up as Seattle sports fans. The I bad stuff that. almost always happens. I understand that, but like... If we're waiting around for Gino to fail or Pete Carroll to do something stupid, I'm not waiting for Gino and, to fail. Really, and it's I don't instantly like, oh no, here we go, I right? I mean, there is more evidence. We have to take it as just the season. There is more evidence to Pete Carroll making the right decisions, both play calling wise and even sometimes fourth down wise and defensive adjustment wise. There's more evidence to him doing that this year than there is not. There's more evidence to suggest Gino playing well than there is not. But there's I, more years to suggest the other things than there are this year, which is one year and not even a full year. It's 10 out of 17 games. But we have, en- we have enough of this year. To me, the, the Buccaneers game was, I, I wish that they had won. The whole weekend in general, aside from the Broncos' loss, did not really go the Seahawks' way. But even down to that commander's victory. Uh, Although the surprising thing is, and this was before the the Monday night game, playoff football outsiders playoff odds, uh, they dropped by two percent of simulations their chances of making because the playoffs. football outsiders recognizes more than Vegas, more than you, that this is a good team. I mean, they, that's what they are. They, Playing close with the Buccaneers, who also finally looked like the Buccaneers for the yeah. first time all season. So they actually rated better than average this week in DVOA with the opponent adjustments. They did drop from 12th to 18th in defense because of the run defense in particular. But like, I, yeah, like I said, I I don't think it I don't think it changes my outlook. But there there are just like some yellow flags that I'm like I'm monitoring. Okay. What are you monitoring? Whether Pete Carroll continues to go for it. Okay, fine. If the Seahawks play the Super Bowl winning, were they the number one seed in the NFC last year? No, we've gone over this. Green Bay was the number one okay. seed. The Super Bowl win- they were the two seed then. Correct. Num- su- previous Super Bowl winning, number two seed, best quarterback of all time, excellent defense, finally had the I receivers mean, healthy. all this information about Tampa Bay. Coming into this game, and you were still very bullish on the Seahawks' they chances. They did not I, look like. I Tampa think Bay. I had the more accurate assessment of how this game was going to play out. At no point had their offense looked like that, and the receivers were the difference. I I don't think it was the run game that was the difference. It was how they passed the ball so comfortably to open receivers. Tom Brady has not done that this year. He he hasn't. I, also, by the way, Tom Brady ending the interception streak. Cody Barton, baby. Like there were, it was so a Cody, fun game. Cody in the Barton, end, it was a fun game. Cody Barton had no interceptions before that in his NFL career. I looked at his college career. He had one interception as a senior. I think that might have been the most improbable combination <laughs> of... I mean, there's probably like a defensive line, which is the real answer to this. But like quarterback to throw an interception and defensive player to get an interception. 
Tom Brady to Cody Barton is a way up there God, on the most improbable combos oh, of so all good. time. That and then Tariq Woolen. Actually, the most improbable combo would be Leonard Fournette <laughs> to Tariq Woolen. Even, even but, knowing how but good not Tariq like, is. That is improbable just because there's not that many Leonard Fournette passes. But if Leonard Fournette is passing the ball at being intercepted, it's probably yes. not that improbable. Uh, Tom Brady is the receiver. <laughs> intended receiver. Tariq so Woolen is the corner. Is the least probable combo. <laughs> Oh my god! Yeah, we really had like two, but I just like I don't know. I left this game being like, I'm frustrated. I'm sad we don't get to watch the Seahawks for this week, right? Like, because I like this team and I like going into it and watching them, and that is not a feeling that I thought we would have. Yep. And then you look at the next three weeks and you see the Raiders. <laughs> no comment needed. <laughs> you see the Rams with Cooper Cup. Very, very questionable in that game. Uh, all the all the indications are reporting is that it's a high ankle sprain and the prognosis is not good. Yeah. And then you see the Panthers, who are the worst team in the NFL, possibly, maybe the second worst team in the NFL. I feel like the Panthers have ver- like they've been right on the brink of playoffs and the number one pick. They're teetering somehow between those two things, but those are the next three games, and it's like ah, these are three pretty winnable games. Yeah. And then you I go. Mean, that's there. probably a factor in why the playoff odds are looking as good as they are. Carolina is a comfortable thirtieth in DVO, although it's not a big margin for them over Indianapolis and Houston. Then how are they a comfortable thirtieth? They're just thirteenth. <laughs> okay, fair. <laughs> you you know, just said it's it's third. It's a comfortable thirtieth. You know but it's not that comfortable. You know who's a comfortable twenty-eighth? Who's that? The, you don't know the Rams. Yeah, it's the Rams. Uh, I mean, we're talking about the Rams. How are they so bad in special teams? Probably without... Well, they don't have John Fossil anymore. That is true. Uh, but also, <clears throat> hosting three of their next four. Yep. And you kind of look at it, and it's like... If they can... If they win those three, like, the playoff odds get to be pretty high at that point when you get to nine wins with the amount of playoff teams that there are. Uh, but then also, hosting the 49ers in the next game after that, who is your biggest competitor for the NFC West... And I, I just, I think it's a frustrating loss on the schedule, but I think this is, this is a schedule loss. This is the Buccaneers got on track. They're a good team. They're definitely going to make the playoffs. Unless something catastrophic happens, the Buccaneers are going to make the playoffs. They looked normal. Julio Jones looked normal for the first time ever. Chris Godwin looked normal for the first time since the injury. Like those receivers looked different than they have looked all season. Yeah, I mean, it's tough to say because was that the Seahawks defense reverting a little bit to what we saw in the first half of the season? Or was it really about those receivers actually being that much healthier <clears throat> in one week? That's, I think, the the question that I would ask. I guess so. And the Seahawks haven't been tested with receivers. Correct. Over the last couple of they weeks. They hadn't faced a healthy... I mean, DeAndre Hopkins, they they did face yes. against Arizona. But that was the only number one receiver, basically, that they faced. I Depending think those on how you Cardinals receivers Mike are Williams. not bad, though, even without Hollywood. Yeah. So, unfortunately, they have Cliff Kingsbury coaching them. <laughs> so, for now, uh, <clears throat> hey, big win for the Cardinals. Oh, I can't wait to watch it on Hard Knocks. Uh, but yeah, that's I don't know. I just it was fine. It it, it would have been if the Seahawks would have pulled that off. God, the Raiders going at Broncos, just like cheering so hard for the Raiders. Uh, that pick is now up to number eight, I believe. That sounds right, yeah. 
I also love that it's right behind the Rams pick <laughs> that is going out. That's one of my favorite things. Um, <clears throat> I I still think I think that the Raiders are a scary team. Yes. Uh, there's obviously talent for the Raiders. I like that the Seahawks have that one at home, and obviously they're going to play the Rams home the road anyway. But I still think the Raiders are a little bit more dangerous than they're getting credit for. But they are a team who you can easily score on, and their offensive line doesn't look great. They really only have one receiving option. So, yeah, if you can, you know, if Treek One can do work against Devontae Adams, like they don't seem like they have another level. The other pieces, if the Raiders lose to the Broncos this week and are at two and eight, like the the will to fight is getting pretty low. That you wonder about for sure. So, I don't know. I just think it looked like a Seahawks game. Yeah. And that was fine. Except it was really fucking early. <laughs> yeah, no more 6.30 a.m. starts. I'm good on waking up was at 6.30 a.m. Was that the best European football game ever? I'm sure there's been a better game than that. But, I mean, I understand what you're saying in terms of it was both two quality teams and they played an exciting game. But also the first half, the first quarter in particular, <laughs> was pretty boring. There was a lot of punting early. I thought it was a pretty good game, though. You got to see Tom Brady. Yeah. Both be in, in, intercepted in front of him as a wide receiver and then also throw an interception. It came down to the last drive, even though Seahawks couldn't get off the field, but it came down to the last drive. Yep. An exciting second half. I just thought it was the most Seahawks shit ever, though, to score those touchdowns and to make it a five point game. Like the way that they did that, it reminded me of so many different Seahawks games we've seen under Russell Wilson. It was like, if I, that's it. Yeah. I mean, I would say part of what's been exciting about this season is that it hasn't reminded us of those past seasons, despite the many good things that happened in them. So that that maybe is part of what I'm experiencing, what the emotion that I'm feeling. But again, I don't think it was a bad loss by any stretch of the imagination. So there you go. Yeah. And here we go into the bye. <clears throat> All right. Well, It'll be a nice week off. Again, I'll be frustrated to not be able to watch the Seahawks, but it's nice to get a week week off, get everybody healthy, give Tyler Lockett a week to rest, give everybody a week to rest, get back. I think the team is... There aren't any significant players coming back, right? Uh, Trey Brown after the bye would be the one. Oh, it'll be pretty fascinating to see how they use Trey Brown also because it does feel like the secondary is kind of set at this point, Uh, but how they mix in Trey Brown. Yeah. I mean, certainly that was a factor in the Sydney Jones decision to move on from Sydney Jones. So at the very least, he's going to provide depth at the outside corner spots. So on that note, thanks for listening. Thanks.